If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be action-packed, and here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to, can we get all players on board for a fast-paced adrenaline rush of a quest? And how can we make sure we hit the action beats and steps that make games satisfying? And can the most intense moments of real-life legends like Alexandra Samusenko follow the same action beats? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. So similar to our episode about plotting and planning mysteries, this episode aims at planning the ultimate action adventure. Which does have some steps that you definitely got to hit, but I'll be the first to admit that it is a little less complicated than running and planning a mystery. Well, you don't have to Professor Moriarty yourself and be a genius to run an action adventure. You just have to be a a Sharknado. (laughs) It's really more of our speed. Like, (laughs) don't think about the plot too hard. (laughs) But when was the last time you had an adventure like this? The last one shot I ran was kind of action packed because you kind of know you got to get through shit. You can't sit around and talk and think too deeply about your character's emotions. You got to get to the action. Yeah, like when in Mission Impossible does Ethan Hunt ever sit down and really have a good ponder? No, it's just move. Go, go, go. (laughs) I mean, I feel like they've tried to have him have a couple of those moments, but the entire time he's like, come on, I'm here for impossible shit to go down, not for you to think. I paid to see Tom Cruise run. Yeah. (laughs) It is tricky to pull off. It's not quite as simple as just relax your brain and meander through it. It certainly helps to have a couple of steps planned in advance. Now, this is usually what happens to me more often than not. I think I've got this planned to the nines. Like, I've got it totally set. And then at some point, the players are like, where do we go now? What do we have to do? What uh, what comes next? And that's a not great feeling. Super deflating. You're like hanging on the edge of your seat, ready for things to pop off. And then... <laughs> Nobody knows what's even happening. Players are all just kind of standing around like the John Travolta meme, (laughs) looking around. What are we supposed to do now? So we're trying to give some focus with this episode. We want you to be able to heighten certain points in your story, know where to put the emphasis, know where the key moments are that are going to make people remember this. And knowing which points to really hit hard and not moving on from them until all of the players are really on the same page and going, okay, like I'm going to lean into this so that everyone is super clear on what that next step is. But what I really love about this is that players either knowingly or subconsciously already understand action story beats and simply laying down a few of these means that you can kind of get into that cool dance, that cool rhythm with your players where they kind of know where they're supposed to go next. They understand those story beats. The direction that will make their characters shine the brightest. As we've said before, when you've got a a loose outline to follow, it also helps you stay focused but flexible enough to just keep plowing ahead full of steam. 
Yeah, especially when the players decide to go left instead of right. Well, what do I do now? Now I have to make up something new. Well, not if you have the next beat planned. Even if it takes place in a different place and time and setting, you still know that you're going to do a chase scene or something like that. Yeah, the showdown is next. So if they go into a supply closet, make the supply closet explode and they're in the showdown. (laughs) Don't have it just ruin the energy of the adventure. The moral of the story is that supply closets are very dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could be in a showdown at any moment. So what we hope you do is you listen to the rest of this episode, maybe grab a pen and a piece of paper and start jotting down some of the ideas as they come to you, but follow the beats of an action movie. And to do this, we're going to define our antagonist, we're going to plot down some of our story beats, and we're going to pepper in some of those must-have action encounters. And when you plan it out this way, your players are going to just get into that rhythm with you. It might not be the silver bullet, but you are going to have way better luck with not leaving players in a state where they're just kind of looking around for what the next step is. Well, let's get into the strategy stateroom and break it down. This is the strategy stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. So the overview of what we like to do when we're playing our action games is we like to define our antagonist. You always got to know what the party's going up against. Then we plot the action quest with those story beats. And then we add in the genre scenes that will make it feel like that epic action game. Totally. So, so let's start with that defining our antagonist. The nasty boys and girls of the story. Well, that's just it, is that it's not always a diabolical villain. There's a lot of different action-type movies. Any of the Roland Emmerich doomsday porn. Well, you just said a lot of words that meant nothing to me. Please explain. <laughs> well, Roland Emmerich is famous for making movies where the world ends. All right. So who's the bad guy in those? Yeah, I don't remember the scenes where they reveal that it's some weird little mole man in a bunker <laughs> underground. Who has plotted, who has created a weather generator. Yeah. No, in some cases, it's strictly nature. And so there's actually four different types of main antagonists that you can consider when trying to make an action thriller. So we have nature, which is literally just anything natural. Maybe it doesn't have the same kind of motivations. Then you have the state, which is like that big overarching structure, like impossible, you know, it's not one particular person, but a state or a ruling body or something like that. Then you got time, so ticking clock kind of adventures where the players are racing to do something by something else. And then finally, you do have that person, that evil bastard that's just out for revenge. Let's dive into each one of those just a little bit more, starting with nature. Twisters, earthquakes, jungles, wolves. Maybe even aliens falls in this category? Maybe that actually might like sit between the two of like nature and like a state. Yeah, just an unstoppable force. Yeah. But the thing that we're leaning into for this is how remorseless and uncompromising and indifferent it is without complex motivations. 
wolves aren't out there to be malicious. They're just doing what wolves do. Yeah. The twister's just going to twist. And if you've ever been outside of a comfortable home as a human being, you can identify with this kind of a story. I mean, even if you've been walking on a cold, windy day, you have a bit of a feeling of what it's like to be up against nature. Uh, And why have we gone from the extremes? You know, you and I started in northern Alberta, where it gets to minus 40 (laughs) degrees. And then we came down here to Kelowna, where this year it's plus 40 degrees. Both are uninhabitable. I don't like these spectrums. I don't like it either. And the reason that nature is such a compelling villain is because it's our struggle as a species. We all understand it, like you said. Then we get into the state as the enemy. You've got your spy action movies, your assassination attempts and conspiracies. You've got any kind of a group that has immense power that you can't really see the edges of. It doesn't have to be a governing body. It can be a a gang that is just everywhere in everything. So this definitely leans into your alien one. Yeah. You know, Independence Day was you're fighting this faceless force, this unstoppable wall of aliens that have better technology and they're more informed. They're all seeing, all knowing, all reaching. The main characters have nobody to trust. Yeah, they reach right into your brain and turn you into a puppet. It's no good. And so you've got stories like pursuit stories and... Yeah, not having anywhere to turn, no safe haven, that kind of vibe. Yeah, you're on your own against the world. Then you've got time. These ones have that tension built right in. I mean, we've talked a lot about ticking clocks, but you want to be leaning into how little time there is. Everything that goes wrong takes away time from the party. This is that asteroid heading towards Earth, even though that might kind of feel a little bit more like nature. The real villain in, say, the newer movie Green Day with uh, Gerard Butler, where he's got to get his family from somewhere in like rural U.S. all the way to Greenland in two days. That seems like an impossible (laughs) task. And then he just gets in his pickup truck. I'm not sure if anyone told Gerard Butler that Greenland is an island, but Uh there would be some water involved. So we can, you know, psychically see the challenges that will face him on his journey (laughs) yes we know ahead of time like (laughs) hey gerard unless you know that that truck floats you're gonna have some problems (laughs) and you got two days to do it man maybe i'll find a ship from the independence day aliens well some of the other ideas that we can lean into this is the like hold the line until backup arrives that can always be really compelling yeah like you just said get from point a to b before x terrible thing happens yeah. Or, hey, we've kidnapped this person and we're going to toss him off of the tallest building unless you get here at this time. Or the melting ice block trick. I mean, Die Hard with a Vengeance was like two hours of get to point A to B before X happens. That's mm. the entire premise of the film. <laughs> and then finally, you've got the person. And the themes that you want to lean into when you're dealing with a person... You want to make the party hate that person. We're talking about revenge action stories or pursuit. Yeah, this is us just leaning in as storytellers to how awful the person is. How just truly evil and despicable 
and leaning into their lack of certain qualities. And you can often, uh, you know, counter it with some of the party's qualities. Whatever qualities the party has, they're loyal, they're trustworthy. You just lean into the opposite. Yeah. And of course, you pepper in those little things that make us all hate them. Like if you're designing a villain for me, then just make them cross the road without looking up. (laughs) The mailman's bane. (laughs) So the next step, once we've kind of figured out what we're going to do, whether it's time, state, a person or nature, now we have to figure out what their goal is. And this is not much more complicated than that. It's just what do they want? And the reason that this doesn't have to be that complicated, it can be something very, very simple. It doesn't need to be deep or philosophical because what we're going to actually spend the time on is leaning more into why it hurts the victim. Now, here's the really interesting bit, is that often the main character or the players in this case are not the victim of the story. Right. The victim is the third super important character in an action. You've got the heroes, the villain, and the victim that will suffer if the villain wins. So in this case, we're talking about townspeople or that really kindly innkeep who is nice to the party and waived their rent for the evening just to have some fun, new, lively characters in his tavern. And you can even add some personal stakes to this. I mean, you know, Die Hard, one of the victims was his wife that he was trying to win back. I mean, if John McClane was just walking past Nakatomi Tower yeah. and he was like, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to kill like a <laughs> hundred bad guys. It would have been like, a lot weirder. Yeah, he would have been a psycho, yeah. but he's got personal stakes. There's somebody else that's going to suffer. Yeah. Which allows John McClane to justify a lot of dark shit. Yep. Yep. <laughs> like there was some fucked up stuff that happened in that movie. So just know that when you're throwing in those personal NPCs as victims, your party's going to get even darker because I know they already are. <laughs> I know they're already doing stuff that haunts your nightmares. So we have the victim. It's the townspeople. Now we need to double down by making sure that one of the townspeople has those personal stakes or those personal connection to one of the players. If you have one or two or all of your players, it's going to be really hard for them to take any other course of action than to charge headlong right in. And that's what we're after in an action. Yeah. So part two, we need to plot our action quest. Now, there are some very key steps, and we'll write all of those key steps down on our page for this episode. So just go to our our website. You can see them all kind of detailed out a lot more. Stop stressing. Calm down. But the first step is we need to convey the goal. This is basically just establishing what's going on that needs to be done. After the players arrive into town, some NPC is cleaning up a huge pile of ash that was one of the taverns in town. And that person is muttering under their breath, ugh. God damn it, somebody has to march into that den and kill that horrible dragon. (laughs) Or someone has to slap that damn tyrant and melt his crown down. So this sounds kind of silly, but this is literally just stating exactly what should be done throughout the remainder of this quest that you've planned. Then you got to show the reason that it's important that this quest be done. And the operative word here is show. As in show, don't tell. 
and you've probably heard this before. It's kind of the difference between like the bartender in town saying the militia is being very rude and some bad things have happened versus the party walking into the tavern when the militia is kicking the shit out of the patrons and you have to step in and do something right now or bad things are going to happen. Exactly. And they have to experience it firsthand. It's just going to be so much better than the typical way that quests usually get kicked off. The mayor invites you and says, hey, we have a quest for you. They haven't experienced that. If you consider having ever played, say, games like Skyrim, there are some quests in that game that are so compelling because you got caught in the middle of something, whether it was a war or a a little skirmish or it was the dragon attack that happened to you and then it flew away and somebody says, you have to go after it. That's the quest. And that is an immediate, that's one of those ones where you're like, I was actually planning on going around (laughs) finding all these little glowing shrubs in the entire world, but I guess I'll deal with this because this seems really pressing. (laughs) And that's the key difference. In tabletop games, you can make it really pressing. You can press the fight to them when they start picking shrubs. (laughs) So when they walk into that tavern, seeing the devastation and the dickishness of this evil militia or whatever the case may be, and experiencing it firsthand and having one of their drinks spilled, then they're a wronged party. They're a part of this quest now. It is on their shoulders already. It is not somebody waiting for them in a town as long as it takes them to get there before the quest begins. So this is where we also toss in those personal stakes like, hey, uh, you know what? The militia just took off with this person who is actually also the deacon of the church that your paladin belongs to. Uh Uh-oh, now this is really personal. Yeah, your mentor. First they spilled my drink, now they stole my mentor. They're probably brainwashing him right now. The deacon that taught me how to ride my bike over the wave tops with my magic powers? That went off the rails real quick. (laughs) Wow, that is quite a church. Yeah, thanks. Of the bike riding wave riders. Yeah, that's cool. The next step is to kickstart the plan. So what this is, is we're giving the players the first piece of their path. This is non-optional, but it's allowing the players to just have the first step of what they will continue to build upon. So rather than letting the players just sit there and make a plan and they start with step one, you give them step one to start their adventure. To draw an example from a film, this is like when Bond has no idea who's involved, but he knows it's just a man and a word, ellipsis. What the hell does this mean? That's in Casino Royale. And he he just barrels forth and he's like, I don't know. I think that's the guy. I'm going to go play some cards with him and I'm going to take his car and his girl. And then that kicks off the whole adventure. And he never knows what that exact next step is, but it's always just enough to kickstart his next plan. Now, when the militia takes off out of town, rather than leaving the players in a place where they're like, I guess we have to go scour the countryside. No. We don't leave them in that place. The bartender knows exactly where they go. And there is actually one of the militia members who drinks here at this time. That gives them all the direction they need 
They don't need to fumble around and they can Tom Cruise that run right towards their destination. Because you got to keep the pacing high. And if you let those moments sit where the players don't really know what's up and they have to figure it out for themselves. I mean, you can do that, but if you're going for that action feel, you want to take as many of those out of the gameplay as you can. Oh, there's definitely a time and place for letting the players sit down and figure it out and hash it out and plot their own plan. Yeah. This is not one of them. Yeah. And next, you have to complicate the plan. So they're off. They're facing their challenges. They're getting closer to victory. It seems pretty cut and dry that they were going to go talk to the militiaman and... They that guy was probably going to be pretty easily swayed and maybe could get them in the back door. But turns out that it's far more complicated than that. This is the no but moment of DMing. No, what you were expecting is not going to work out as you thought. But here's this next step. Here's this next complication. And it's kind of cool because you don't have to actually prevent them from winning a fight or a challenge. It can be something like they thought that this fight would be the end of victory, but there's actually more to this story. There's there's more antagonists behind it. There's a wider scheme afoot. This could be as simple as the players get to the militia fort, which they thought was just a tiny rinky-dink camp, but turns out they've got parapets and they've got towers and they've got all kinds of stuff. So they thought they were going to be a stealth mission. Turns out, nope, this is going to be a full-on assault or it's not going to be as easy as they thought it was going to. One key point to make in this step is that the party usually will learn something. I mean, we just talked about a couple examples, but they might gain new information about the strengths and weaknesses of the antagonist so that they can formulate a new plan. Like, if they're seeing those parapets, what are you going to give them to let them face the parapets? Well, and this is a huge tension-building plot beat. This is where they go, oh, shit, this is not going to be as easy. And that is the experience that you want. There's always the setback that the action hero sees and goes, oh, crap, they're not here holding hostages. I'm John McClane, and it turns out they're trying to break inside the vault. I don't understand this entirely, but the game just changed. Yeah. A small-scale D&D example for you. You ever throw a monster at the party and they kill it right before it gets to release its powerful abilities? From their perspective, if you didn't complicate the plan with its powerful abilities, they just had an easy victory. But you know that there was the fiery breath of a dragon waiting underneath the entire time. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Now, that leads into the next step, which is when they see those new parapets and they go, oh, this is way more complex than we thought. Now we're going to give them some help. So this is where that insightful person who also hates the militia or, you know, somebody else within the story is going to say, hey, you know what? Uh, I actually have a catapult that could get you over that. Yeah. And that changes again the story. It gives them a piece of the puzzle that will allow them to keep the momentum moving through this action story. And if you didn't notice this yet, there really is a wild swing from like downbeats and upbeats. Like, oh no, things are going wrong. Oh, things are getting better. Oh no, things are going wrong. (laughs) It is all over the place. And that's the point of an action story. During this give some help step, something that's really powerful in games is to 
bring back somebody that the party has already made a good relationship with. Like maybe the person that's rolling up with a catapult is that bartender that they saved the life of. I have this old war relic and I'm going to help you out. Yeah. Then it means something. Then their previous victories have added to their overall victory. Now that leads to the next step, which is the antagonist almost wins. This is that all is lost moment. So they launch themselves over the wall. They did it. They launched it into where they thought was going to be a quiet spot. But turns out it was right in the middle of camp. And oh shit, they're all, they've got a 50, 60 swords surrounding them. And the good guys are not looking so good. Yeah. It's that moment right before everything ends. They die. Game over. Sad. This one has to feel so dire. This is the biggest setback. The other ones that they've experienced thus far have been complications. Yeah. This is, holy fuck, the bad guys are going to win. There's no possible way that we can survive this. Time for your last words. And how you can pull this off in games fairly simply is to throw your biggest challenge at the party at this stage. And if they do overcome it, it'll be barely by a hair. Things are going to be super dire. And if you've set things up, they'll think that they've still got their biggest, baddest fight ahead of them. So they're going to be out of spells, abilities, resources. And I've been at the table many times when you're having that conversation about the fact that you don't think you can do one more fight. That is such a visceral feeling, that hopelessness at the table. Because we need that hopelessness. We need that peace to really make this victory sink in. So we've got the party at the antagonist's mercy. The antagonist shows up and they're like, oh, this is it. This is where things really get bad. Because they're here now. All weapons are pointed at us. The antagonist shows up and they are ready to demolish the players. They're at their most pissed because how could they possibly have done this to me, the antagonist? And if we go back to our James Bond example, this is the moment when James Bond is strapped to the chair or to the table or <laughs> the lasers about <laughs> yeah. to cut him in half. No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Bond always had the most crystal clear examples of this step. And they make his victories so much sweeter. Oh, yeah. And this leads to the showdown. This is that final fight, that big climactic end battle. And this is where you as a DM can give that final bit of assistance to make that climactic fight exciting and surprising. So again, if the players are all down, there's spells and there's no possible way that they could come out of this fight victorious, you give them a short rest potion, or a magical item that's sitting on a display table in the bad guy's evil lair. Yeah. Or you, you know, you bring in an army to handle the minions so that it can just be a that one-on-one -on -one showdown with the antagonist. Yeah. And this counters that low point they just went through. Like, they're feeling real rough on the ropes and all of a sudden, victory! Victory can be ours! Let's do this! Yeah, this can be so powerful. And that feeling of like, okay, we just evened the odds. And now, now we might just squeak out a victory. It still has to feel overwhelming, but there has to be that little bit of hope that we can give players by tossing in something else that could help them. Yeah. And something really important to remember here is to make it fit the fiction well. 
Otherwise, you're going to run into a real deus ex machina. The players are going to be like, oh, you're just going to throw in the eagles anyways. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. That deus ex machina of, oh, a, an asteroid came and wiped out their barracks, and now it's just a one-on-one fight with the bad guy because he's got no backup. That feels so unrelated to their victory and to them figuring it out yeah. that it's going to feel like the DM gave them a gimme. Yeah. So, you know, if the challenges that your party has faced on the way here has been saving a whole bunch of people from around the surrounding areas and farmers and workers and all this, then have them rally up. And and all of a sudden they're being supported by this farm army and the <laughs> soldiers are all taken care of and, and there's fighting happening everywhere. And now your party can make that beeline. That's related to what they've done. It's not the asteroid, like you said. So the players get a farmy. Yeah, the players get a farmy to back them up. <laughs> a farm army. <laughs> cows, chickens, men with yes. pitchforks. Chickens riding cows. We've trained <laughs> them to fight. They are the pike chicken uh, of the farmy. We're back into deus ex machina. <laughs> we're going to rob the players of their victory. <laughs> and these chickens have learned to fly. This is the most glorious <laughs> battle. <got> laser eyes. <laughs> Hell no. All right. Finally. The last step here, part three, we want to add our iconic scenes. It's not going to feel like an action story unless we have a few very critical pieces to the action genre. Your players are going to love it. We promise. One of our absolute favorites in this category is the speech in praise of the antagonist. So... Somebody at some time has to point out how immensely powerful the force that they're fighting is. This can come out in a multitude of ways. It can happen nearly anywhere in your story, but adding it in just makes this whole thing feel right. It adds that heroism that is missing from a lot of stories. It sets up the fact that the antagonist is really powerful. In Alien, this was the description of how biologically perfect the aliens were as killing machines yeah if it's the state then it's about how impossibly difficult this force is to thwart how nobody should ever try because it would be absolutely crazy to do so yeah another option for this if you have a flesh and blood antagonist is their monologue which usually includes some version of how what they're doing is right but how they have so much backing them up. You should just give up now. This is an impossible fight. You're a worm. I'm a god. Kneel before me. I mean, that speech is so satisfying. Yeah. Because it's usually followed by a kick swiftly to the dick. Or, you know, a Hulk ragdolling Loki around the room. It was so much better because Loki just went on a tirade about how cool he is. So satisfying. The next bit that we absolutely need to throw in there is setting up how bad things really are. Like, we need some foreshadowing. If they do not intervene at some point in the story, usually this is a lot earlier on, we have a moment where an NPC is going to convey what this has done to them, how it's impacted the town, how it's impacted all of the people, and what will happen if they continue to gain power. Or if this continues to happen, regardless, they need a very clear picture of what non-intervention looks like. Yeah. Get them to cross that threshold. 
a great one to establish that you are running an action-packed game is to do that hard-cut explosive start. Again, Bond follows this formula to a T. Almost all of those movies, they do not give you any explanation as to what's going on, but they have James Bond doing some crazy shit and you're into it and you know it's going to lead to a great action film. And what I love about those kind of hard starts to a scene is that you can do this in D&D really effectively. This is so much fun to start mid-combat. Yeah. When the players sit down at the table and they've just described who their characters are, you say, great, you are pinned down by tons of crossbow fire. You are in cover behind some crates. Roll initiative. Yeah. And it's like, what? Why are we here? What are we doing? <laughs> Let's How do go. we get ourselves into this situation? <laughs> or, Travis, the twist that you gave once to the classic start in a tavern. Well, we started in a tavern that was ablaze and that there was no way out of. Okay, let's let's go, I guess. <laughs> we don't know how we know each other, but we're about to. We're yeah. survivors of a tavern fire. <laughs> then you've got backed into a corner. And this is almost in one of those plot points. You can add this to that all is lost plot point. Oh no, we're in it so deep. How are we ever going to get out of this? The antagonist almost won. But this is the you don't see any way out of this situation. And it feels this is one of the only places where some a hint of deus ex machina can actually really help. Think of the Star Wars trash shoot scene. That really, what that looks like is there's no way out of this. They're, they've backed us into a detention area. We need to go forward, but there's stormtroopers in that room. An overwhelming number. How are we ever going to get out of this? Well, you know what? Princess Leia rolled a quick perception check, and she saw the trash chute. So this feels a lot more like the character found their way out of this. This is a, a quick escape, a quick gimme. And the reason it works here is that the party knows that they're not out of the shit yet. They've just temporarily delayed it. Exactly. Yeah. Out of the frying pan into the fire. Yeah. And by fire, we mean garbage chute with a weird snake eyeball monster. <laughs> <laughs> the final iconic scene is, of course, just the showdown. And we already talked about the showdown. But it's worth taking some time and thinking about how you want your villain to present themselves. What is going to feel thematically satisfying? Yeah, this is one of the few points where you want to work on the descriptions a bit. You want to set the scene really well. Think of the Watchmen and Ozymandias just doing his thing, talking about his wonderful plan. Like, that's why they always do this in action movies. Because you've got a villain who's thinking that they are better than themselves. And then you've got a person of action who's about to not give a shit about all of their posturing and kick the living shit out of them. Doesn't get any sweeter than that. And when we say thematically relevant and interesting to the character, think about what counterpoints their entire experience so far. To draw, again, another example from Die Hard, this is that moment, the reason that John McClane dropped him off of a building to his death 
is because the entire time, this guy has been unafraid of anything. He's been smarter, he's been better. And the reason that that final look is so important is because he's scared. He's terrified, he's still a human, and he gets dropped off of a fucking building <laughs> looking like a terrified child. Yeah. That is so thematically interesting to that character. In Cliffhanger, the bad guy gets tossed off of a cliff. In, <laughs> in all of these other films, you want that final piece. You want to set up the, the space and the area that they're going to fight in so that there's lots of opportunity to finally just toss this person off of the top of a building or drop them into a boiling cauldron of lava. Yeah. You're right. The environmental set pieces can really make or break a showdown, giving players epic ways to end their nemeses. Yes. Something I really like about these genre scenes that make action stories pop that much more is that these are a few of them that are really important, but there's all kinds of other little ones that just support the feel of an action story. So if there's some that pop into your mind as we're talking... Let us know, because we want them. We want to make our action stories more action-y. Also, we've done an episode on mysteries. We've now done an episode on action. What other genres are you chomping at the bit to try to emulate in your games? Because we want to tackle those ones next. Yeah. So let us know. I think it's about time we go to Grandma B's schoolhouse, where we're going to learn about a real-life action hero. Can't wait. Folks come here to Grandma B's schoolhouse to gain knowledge and apply the history of their realm. Okay, so I want to talk about Alexandra Semisenko because she was a badass of the Russian military, but I want to do it through what we've just been talking about. Like, if we were to recreate her story as an action story, how would that look? Okay, I'm on board. So, we've got our protagonist. She's a 23-year-old guard lieutenant in the Red Army of Russia. She's been in the military for three years at this point. She's served in an infantry regiment. She's had training as a mechanic and went to tank school for the T-34 medium battle tank. Cool. And she's seen combat already. She's been wounded twice in battle. She's accomplished a lot of victories, which has gained her respect and distinction as a tank commander. So she got to the point where she was leading a crew of three in her tank. She had the driver, the radio operator, and the loader. Her job among these folks was to command and to fire the main cannon. Wow. I already would not want to mess with her. She's like (laughs) a million times tougher than me. (laughs) Especially me at 23. Right? (laughs) So, okay. If we're going to break this down into the steps, we need to define our antagonist. Okay. Sounds like this is a whole army. This is like, this sounds like the state. Well, you're close. It definitely looks like a story of the state because we're talking about an epic battle that she was a part of against the classic historical big bad of our age, Hitler himself. Wow. She went toe to toe with Hitler? (laughs) She didn't have a showdown with Hitler, which is the important part here because it wasn't Hitler and his army that was our antagonist in this story. It's time. And I'll get into that in a second. So at the time, the Reich had recently been stopped at Moscow and was seeing some pretty heavy resistance along their entire advance into Russia. 
but they were coming in for one more Blitzkrieg, and they were bringing their biggest and baddest new super tank to the fight, the Tiger. This bad boy weighed as much as 15 elephants. (laughs) I don't know how much an elephant weighs. (laughs) About as much as 30 jaguars. Does that help? Or one tank? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 15 elephants is as heavy as one tank. It could roll almost 40 kilometers an hour and obviously could roll through just about anything and could shoot its explosive rounds about two kilometers down range. Holy hell. So you don't want to get close, but you kind of have to, as I'll get into. So, okay. You said time is our antagonist. I'm going to go along with this. Yeah. I could see a lot of other antagonists from Hitler and a whole army. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even, you know, nature being a difficult thing to do this in. But uh, we need to start by conveying the goal. So the quest is to slow down Operation Citadel, a classic pincer movement designed to trap 50,000 Russian troops outside the city of Kursk long enough for backup to arrive. Oh, That's why it's timed. Nice. Okay, so she's coming to the rescue to try to stop a lot of her people from being demolished. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Okay, so then we need to show the reason. So I'm sure... She and her crew had plenty of reason. I mean, she's got 50,000 people she's trying to save right now. And beyond that, she's got anyone that she cares about. Well, out of 50,000 people, it's probably pretty likely that she has at least a personal relationship with one or two of them. Yeah. And even more than that, the people in her tank, she probably wants to keep safe. Yeah. So kickstarting that plan? Well, she got a basically a direct order in this case. Like, go defend the line. That's kickstarting the plan. I'm getting a sense that it's going to get more complex than just go defend the line. Yes. But (laughs) she knows what her next step is going to be. Yeah. Get out there. So she heads towards the front. Then the plan gets complicated? Well, yeah, because they knew that they were in for a, a terrible fight. But they may not have known immediately that their opponents on this field of battle were the soldiers that made up the... Waffen SS. They were chosen for their fanatical devotion to Hitler and had the best training and weaponry on offer. On July 6th, 1943, it took the Nazis 17 hours to advance through the front lines. This is all before Alexander showed up, and they're getting real close to accomplishing their goal already. So they showed up not expecting the best of the best of the best, and that's what they got? Yes. And now they were up against immeasurable odds. Yeah. So then they got some help? Well, yes. Here comes the cavalry. Alexandra and her fellow tanks burst through the wheat fields and the steps. The drivers just pushing their metal monsters to the limit, keeping it constantly on the move because they're up against these super tanks. They knew that their ammunition wasn't really effective against the army of tigers. Their only hope was to get in close and get lucky. This was unimaginable chaos. Tanks were swirling around each other like bees. You got explosions rocking to you to your core nearly constantly. And you've even got people on foot trying to throw bombs into cracks in the tanks. Oh, hell no. This is is that pants shitting kind of stuff. Yeah. So then we've got this all is lost moment, which I don't know how you do anything but feel that way throughout the entire thing. Yeah. 
but I'm assuming there's a low point. There certainly is. This is her backed into a corner moment. And this is when she knew she had no more time. When she was face to face with three tiger tanks. Nobody else around to help. So there's three tanks that dwarf her tank. Yep. And she has to take them out with no backup and no help. That's right. And she did not get any kind of deus ex machina. She found herself here and she told her men, there is no turning back for us. Oh, this is a scene to focus on in our recreation. Maybe with a little conversation between her and the enemy tanks. This is that party at the antagonist mercy scene where there's no way out. What are you going to do? So I'm assuming there is quite a showdown. Absolutely. She bursts into action. And as shells are exploding all around her, she threads the needle with two point-blank shots, exhaust port style, right into the turrets of two of these tiger (laughs) tanks, taking them out of the fight. Holy shit. Can you imagine (laughs) being the pilots of those tanks? We got this. That is a one in a million shot. Yeah. Yeah. That was a bad day for them. That's unreal. And in that final one-on-one moment, her and the final tiger, she manages to damage it enough to force it to retreat. Probably because the pilot of that one is terrified. Oh, I would be shitting my pants. Have I seen two other tigers get felled (laughs) by this tiny tank that's just ripping around the battlefield? Yeah. Hell no. And with this decisive victory and many others on the battlefield, they did it. They stopped the tide long enough for backup to arrive. Because of this, she got promoted to captain, given command of the entire unit, and she received the Order of the Red Star, a Soviet medal offered for exceptional leadership in combat. I should say so. Well earned. I mean, that's just an unreal story. Yeah. Now, I could very easily see adapting something like this into a D&D fight of, you know, you have to get in there. You have to stop these war machines, these new, you know, you got the speech and praise of the the enemy. Yeah. You're building that up, and then you're sending your party in to basically reenact Alexandra's story. Yeah. Well, that's pretty incredible. That's, uh, yeah, it's surprising how much these kind of real events fit you know, if it's a if it's a thrilling story, chances are it follows some of the same beats. And I think one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is because the reason action stories resonate with us so much is because they do mimic the real life events of the people that we look up to. Well, because we tell their stories in a very similar way. There's a reason why stories that are thrilling have these kind of beats. And being a great storyteller or being a great dungeon master is about recognizing when to bring your players high and when to send them low. And that ricocheting back and forth between those two states and feeling like all is lost. But here comes Alexandra, who's ready to kick some ass and pull off the impossible. (laughs) There's a reason that story has continued from all the way since World War Two. Yeah is because it's thrilling, because it follows those beats, because there's something there that is just deeply ingrained in us to want to enjoy and to root for and to feel like the impossible is possible. Yeah. Well, again, 
let us know if there's another genre that you want us to tackle. If there's something that's really important to you that you are hoping to run one day, we've done mysteries, we've done action. We'd love to hear from you. What's next? Uh, thanks to our patrons who get to vote on what's next. Uh, they're the ones that get to decide what we talk about. So thanks to Chris F. I see spiders where there are none. The Senate. Lucas D. Lila G. The GM Tim. Nevermore. Thomas W. Ty N. Heavy Arms. Eric R. Aldrost. Leprechaun. And Will HP. Thank you all so damned much. We hope you enjoyed this episode about action. Thanks as well to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects you heard in this episode. For those action-packed games, you can also follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit, where there is no action. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell them that. I haven't updated Instagram in a long time. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna get more active. Come on there and harass us about our terrible habits. You can also join the awesome community of players and DMs. Talk about your next action games there. Get some help planning them uh, on our Discord. Where there's a ton of action. Yeah. That one's popping off every day. Thanks not to us. (laughs) But the wonderful community (laughs) that lives there. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening And and Farmy Unite. We will beat back the hordes. (laughs) The farm military. With our laser chickens. (laughs) 